0: The value of what I saw in Iowa is, that's how that translates into what we do at Vote Forward. Just that human dialogue, that connection person to person saying, I'm a human, you're a human, your voice matters, my voice matters, let's do this together. This is the value of our democracy. This is the value of why your vote, You know, it's not just one vote in the drop of a large ocean, but all of our collective votes together is what creates that ocean and that's powerful and that's valuable.
1: Welcome to this episode of Imagine Human, where we connect you with changemakers working at the intersection of science, technology, and social impact. I'm your host, Morgan Moncada. The recent November 2020 election in the United States was historic for many reasons. This election coincided with a global pandemic, civil unrest, and fallout from record unemployment rates. In turn, more than 66% of the qualified electorate came out to vote. This was the highest turnout in voters since 1900. What and who contributed to this growth? In this episode, we will take a look at one nonprofit organization, Vote Forward, and its mission to increase voter engagement through more than 20 million handwritten letters. Our guest, Mel Chuang, is the Director of Digital Growth at Vote Forward. She will share her journey from tech startups to nonprofit political activism, and her belief that we are only at the tip of the iceberg in improving access to voting for all. So Mel, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. It's exciting to have you. I'm glad your vacations are going well. So I wanted to get started by, you know, really just kind of opening up the floor and asking you about yourself and about your journey that's kind of led you to working at Vote Forward in terms of voter advocacy and your entire philosophy behind that.
0: So I'm Melissa Chong. I actually studied international relations which is a really interesting diverse set of content to study academically and actually set the foundation and the curiosity and the interest of how does policy impact economy how does it impact society and really coming out of college understanding or thinking critically about the impact of policy on the lives of many people doesn't naturally translate very well in a setting like Silicon Valley. And I think that's extremely unfortunate, especially when you think about the value prop that tech totes to the rest of the world. Tech is this tool that is being overlaid over traditional industries like healthcare, like politics, like insurance, like so many other industries with this proposition of making it accessible, easy to access, dynamic, personalized. but I looked around and didn't really see a place where having a traditional academic background on thinking critically about questions and the impact of policy or the impact on a decision onto the lives of many and how that could actually translate into a job <laughs> that people would be willing to hire you into. And so, what that really meant is I wanted to dive into business and understand how do businesses impact the world and how does technology impact the world and just develop a skill set by working. Within a startup. And so, what that meant is, I developed, I I went to Upstart, which is actually a lending platform using artificial intelligence and machine learning to make lending more accessible, making credit more accessible to those who traditionally are excluded from that system. And that really started getting me down this path of how does this intersection of technology truly impact the lives of many instead of making it just a new computer interface or a mobile app how can it actually meaningfully push boundaries of what traditional industries are doing today
1: so it sounds like you're at the crux of I guess your journey and your evolution there has been this element of social impact or bringing technology benefits to people in ways that go beyond maybe traditional silicon valley values or what we see commonly around us
0: yes very much so i think that one of the First things that I noticed when I first really turned my gaze to Silicon Valley, the tech industry, is that every single person that you talk to, whether it's a recruiter, a hiring manager, friends, anyone who works within the tech space, is that a lot of people were driven to or attracted to different startups or companies because of the mission that these companies held. But over time, it actually seemed like there was a one, two-year cliff in which people almost exited that honeymoon phase of joining a new and exciting and curious startup and realizing that the mission that they originally stood for didn't actually translate to benefiting people in the way that they thought. This high-impact value prop that tech brought to a lot of these traditional industries just ended up being more about the bottom line, about maximizing profit, and didn't actually truly think about the impact on humans and the impact on making X or Y more accessible with the additional layer of technology. And that was extremely disappointing, (laughs) but it's also, I think the nature of living in a system and in an industry that values that you are rewarded when you do maximize profits. And so that's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to and sought out an opportunity working within the nonprofit space. And so kind of taking almost like a hard turn of seeing this for-profit maximizing mentality as one of the key core issues as to why startups and technology always started in a great place, but over time had to prioritize and make decisions based off of realities that would not actually impact their target audience in a positive social impact way. Hard correcting to a nonprofit role was a way for me to almost test that theory and test whether or not that was one of the issues with why tech and startups kind of take that turn over time.
1: So taking a step back, what is something that kind of inspired you on this path to begin with? Maybe during your time at Stanford or before that made you interested not only in technology and the success of businesses, which promulgated into your studies at Stanford and extracurriculars there, but also this passion for giving back?
0: It's just something that, this may seem cliche, but my grandpa was actually a uh, researcher. He was a doctor and did research for the World Health Organization for malaria research and trying to find vaccine for <laughs> malaria and how to combat what was a rapidly spreading disease in developing countries. And having that as my role model growing up, this mentality of the work that you can do as hard as it is, no matter where it takes you, it's the core of what you're trying to accomplish. Is bigger than yourself. It's a problem. It's a purpose worth pursuing, regardless of the cost. I think that was just so inspirational. He dedicated his entire life to that. It is, you know, he traveled all over the world, never stayed in one place for more than five, 10 years, all these different things, but it was a worthwhile mission. And I think growing up seeing something like that, it's something that I have been in pursuit of is what is that worthwhile mission to dedicate your life towards and one that will impact people beyond just yourself? It also introduced this aspect of you don't have to fight problems just because they impact yourself and that there is value to it, especially if you have the means, you have the privilege and the education to help others who can't help themselves. Or how do you help others help themselves with the privilege and the resources that you have? And so I think it's almost that was my role model. That was my inspiration. And I think I've been on a path through Stanford, pre-Stanford and post-Stanford trying to figure out what are worthwhile missions and what are worthwhile purposes to dedicate my time, my resource, my education to committing myself to.
1: So, how do you feel like you're kind of putting your own spin on it in terms of your work at Vote Forward?
0: Well, I think that the post-Stanford development of skills and really trying to just better understand the value of tech again and the fact that there is this positive aspect that it can so easily connect Any industry, if used and harnessed in the correct way, to disseminate information, to help educate people who otherwise would not have been reached, and also just help get information, resources, and action in front of people who may be feeling like there is something that they can do. There is a way for them to participate, especially in politics. They just don't know how or where to put that energy. And so I think the combination of the skills I developed while working within the realm of startups and tech. And bringing that skill set over to politics is exactly what I set out to do this election cycle. Kind of going back to why I decided this year, 2020, this election cycle was so critical for me to dedicate my work, my life, my time to this election cycle and everything that it would implicate is because of 2016. I, like many others around me, felt a lot of emotion, a lot of fear a lot of almost like, what should I do? What could I do to make 2020 and not a repeat of 2016? And four years ago, I ultimately made that decision that there's almost like a, I can't be sad or it's hard for me to be frustrated when I know I didn't do everything that I could do to have impacted this outcome. And so coming into 2020, I actually had spent the last four years just thinking about what are skills that I can develop over time that can contribute more holistically to a mission like impacting the 2020 election cycle. And how can I translate the skills that I've developed in tech into something productive and helpful for the 2020 cycle? And so at the end of last year, so 2019, I actually left tech and just jumped into volunteering for different local campaigns in San Francisco as well as actually found myself flying over to Iowa, knocking doors, canvassing, phone banking, text banking on the ground prior to the Iowa caucus, just to get involved and deep dive into the world of politics because it was such an unfamiliar and unknown world at that time.
1: Can you take us to one of those experiences? What was it like being there in the moment? Tell me about the energy and about a memorable experience.
0: I think one of the most memorable experiences was actually on the night of the Iowa caucus. As I had joined a campaign. I was helping some of the local teams on the ground knocking doors. And so I was actually invited to be an observer at a caucus. And if you are either in a state that doesn't have caucuses or just have never been able to witness or participate in one, caucusing is one of the most raw forms of democracy. It's one of the most traditional forms of democracy I've ever seen and was one of the most inspiring things as well. I was sitting in a middle school gymnasium with about 500 people, almost pep rally style. People were in different corners, pretty much denoting which candidate that they were supporting and voting for. Their physical body was their representation of their one vote for that candidate. There was an amount of discussion. There was a point in time where everyone got up, started talking and having dialogue with people who were supporting different candidates, talking about issues, talking to their friends, their families, their neighbors who were supporting different candidates for different reasons, and just engaging in just mass dialogue before you know, reconsidering their vote and sitting back in their respective corners to, to support their different candidates. And that type of experience of just having that dialogue, being physically present, and dedicating not just 20 minutes to fill out a ballot in, in the comfort of your home and sending it in by mail, but taking out an entire evening to sit in a gymnasium in trekking through snow in Iowa to to get there and just being that dedicated to politics and dedicated to your vote and your voice that was inspiring and made me realize how many of us take voting for granted and how valuable dialogue is as a part of our democracy and the value of actually hearing each other
1: it sounds like that's such a ripe opportunity to become more educated about these issues that you might be removed from you know in silicon valley people say that we kind of sit in our ivory towers well while- Other people are having different concerns or more day-to-day concerns or more local concerns that have different motivations for why they pick a particular candidate. So how have you kind of embodied that on-the-ground idea of democracy through Vote Forward and your work at Vote Forward?
0: That's actually what drew me to Vote Forward and the core of what we do. At a high level, what we do is very simple. We organize and recruit volunteers across the country. As long as you are an American citizen, a permanent resident, you are able to actually participate and help become a letter writer. So what we do is that we have, you know, masses of volunteers who are writing handwritten letters to low propensity, high potential voters. So what that means is we have lists of voters. All of this information is public information out of, you know, voter protection laws that have been put into place to make all of this more transparent. We have identified low propensity but high potential voters in key states, and we help organize volunteers to write handwritten messages around, please voting, please register to vote, so that we can just have more people participating and using their voice in democracy. And I think a really important part of this for me was the fact that it was nonpartisan. We are not influencing any individual to vote a certain way because of a certain reason for one candidate, red or blue, or anything in between. It's really just at the core of it. You are a human being. Your voice and your vote matters. And seeing and hearing everything within the Iowa caucus while I was on the ground, handwritten letters is almost like the translated version of that, where we can do it. You know, cross continent. We can write letters from San Francisco to voters in Georgia today. All of these different things of being able to just almost form that human connection in different ways. The value of what I saw in Iowa is that's how that translates into what we do at Vote Forward. Just that human dialogue, that connection person to person, saying, I'm a human, you're a human, your voice matters, my voice matters, let's do this together. This is the value of our democracy. This is the value of why your vote. You know, it's not just one vote in the drop of a large ocean, but all of our collective votes together is what creates that ocean. And that's powerful and that's valuable. So, yeah.
1: (laughs) And how did you guys stumble on the idea of handwritten letters? It seems somewhat archaic, but there's a beauty to it. And there is that personal touch value that you don't get with a a written letter. But how did you validate that? How did you know that that was going to be effective?
0: That's actually goes all the way back, almost like the founding of Vote Forward was Actually, based off of a hypothesis that the founder had, his name is Scott Foreman, he almost calls himself like an old soul. (laughs) For him, handwritten letters just seemed so much more intuitively personal than any type of text message that you could receive from anybody in this country. And so he actually had this hypothesis that writing handwritten letters to potential voters was going to be powerful. It was already proven that door knocking was powerful. It was already proven that to some extent phone banking, so, you know, calling up voters across the country and just getting them out to vote, that was also powerful in its own right. But there really wasn't much being done of other ways to connect outside of phone and door, (laughs) of being there in person. And so he had this hypothesis and he himself actually sat at his kitchen table, wrote over a thousand letters and mailed them out. And one of the incredible things of not just that feat of writing, you know, a thousand handwritten letters and sending them out But he was an engineer by trade. His background was all things loving data. And so, as you would to make sure that you're testing your hypothesis in a rigorous way, he had a randomized control group and actually tested his theory. And over time, actually found that depending on where the letters were sent, so state does matter, region does matter, as well as type of election. So, is it a midterm election? Is it a presidential election? Is it a special election? All of these do impact voter turnout. But his initial test actually found that his letters made a meaningful impact and resulted in a 3.6 percentage point increase in those who received a letter, which is fairly comparable to the impact of phone banks as well as canvassing. And so just right out the bat, seeing that type of impact, that his work out the door was already just as impactful as the work that was already being done in masses across the country, inspired him to create Vote Forward and continue the work that he's doing.
1: It's a pretty clever approach and it it seems like it's potentially more scalable than some other alternatives, like canvassing at least. I mean phone banks are are pretty scalable, but I've seen the templates that you guys have where it's a mixture of like pre-filled content, but then there's that opportunity for that personal message. And what was interesting about that on your video, which is, you know, how to do this process, how to write letters and become a volunteer was that you indicated that the messages were more effective if they're nonpartisan. So can you talk a little bit about how that nonpartisan perspective plays into the mission of Vote Forward as a nonprofit?
0: I mean, I think one of the reasons that we actually found that nonpartisan messaging is impactful actually draws from the fact that our society and the conversations that we have around politics, historically and currently so relevant, is that Politics, any issue that you bring up, any mention of candidates, anything partisan at all, automatically puts people either on the offensive or on the defensive. There is a knee-jerk reaction the moment you mention politics as a word as and any of the issues that fall under it. And so, to, to truly engage in conversation, there is an amount of human connection that needs to be made first. And that nonpartisan messaging of you matter is key to creating action instead of getting an initial response of this person is for this party, I can either regard it or disregard it as a result. And so it's almost like introducing that opposition or that defensiveness is exactly what we are trying to keep away from. And also as a part of Vote Forward, the nonprofit aspect or the nonpartisan aspect of what we do is really important because at the core, we really want to increase voter turnout. And increasing voter turnout isn't A partisan issue. And in order to spread that message of increasing voter turnout, we're not saying increasing voter turnout for X or Y or Z parties or interests. It's we are trying to just increase voter turnout to help strengthen this democracy. That statement of increasing voter turnout to strengthen our democracy in itself is what we strive to do to just strengthen our democracy through the voices of those who make up this democracy.
1: Yeah, it's a really great mission. And why do you think it was so important from your perspective? In this election in particular, what do you think was at stake?
0: I mean, I think every election, maybe this is drawing from my own personal experience, we have this mentality or we take these nudges from the media and the content that surrounds us that everything is almost predetermined or set in stone by forces outside of us. And I think there is an amount of media likes too, as well as we are in a very poll heavy frame of mind every time we go into an election. You know, you look at the polls, you think that the election, the outcome is already determined. It's only a matter of time. And I think we see that time and time again, that's not true. Polls don't determine everything and the race isn't done until the finish line is behind us.
1: So can you talk a little bit about the success that vote forward has had? So you had like, I mean, the election overall record turnouts, there was like over 66% of the qualified electorate was voting. And that's something that we haven't seen since 1900. So how did Vote Forward play a role in that?
0: I actually think that the fact that we were able to reach you know, record numbers like 66% in comparison to 2016, which was more around 55%, is in itself just an accomplishment of this entire country. Because that took tens of millions of people to make a decision that they did not make in 2016 to turn out to request a ballot to stand in line and to submit their vote. And I think that actually is not just an accomplishment by Vote Forward. We were able to help contribute in that we, as an organization and through the work of our volunteers, were able to mail out over 17.5 million handwritten letters to low propensity voters in key states. And so the letters that we sent out weren't actually just equally distributed across all 50 states. They were primarily being sent to states like Florida, Texas, Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, Nevada. So a lot of the key states that you hear about actually making a big difference and kind of coming down to the wire. Those were the states that not just vote forward, but a lot of different partner organizations put an immense amount of effort, work, time, commitment, energy to help turn out voters, both in just getting information so that voters felt educated, so that they knew that they could exercise their right to vote, but also in the turnout in order to protect voters in those states as well. It's not just about education, but it's also about protection. And I think that's one aspect about voting that goes unnoticed or especially taken for granted is the fact that we can cast our ballots so easily in some states, but in other states, there are active forces trying to prohibit voting. Even saying something like that more widely is something that we don't do enough. And that's something that I think Vote Forward has as an organization been able to help take a stand in and helping to say that voting by mail, that is something that should be more accessible, that should be protected. And that's something that we've actually put ourselves behind, joined forces with organizations like the NAACP and helping to try to keep the United States Post Office open and making sure that they have the right resources to be able to process floods of mail-in ballots and absentee ballots. And so Vote Forward contributed in many different ways, but I do think it's a collective effort by many organizations this year.
1: Can you talk a little bit about that protection for voters and their voice? It seems like some of those are intentional by maybe nefarious groups, but then also some of them seem to be infrastructure related.
0: I will almost like caveat and say that diving into a lot of voter protection or Voter suppression conversation is a lot of my take and a lot of where my inspiration comes and is not reflective of a larger held or organization view that I am communicating. But I think a lot of my inspiration around why voting is so important. Again, this is coming from personal experience where I grew up where the moment I turned 18, whether it was through the DMV or other means, it was so easy for me to register and become a voter and also to easily opt into permanent absentee ballot. And for me to just know that my ballot would arrive in my mailbox, I would be able to fill it out, send it in, track my ballot, and just have a very easy, seamless process to vote. Growing up, I took for granted and thought that that was what everyone who was eligible to vote, that was their voting process, their first time voting process. And it wasn't until more research, more exposure, whether it was just pure research on my own, watching thought leaders talk about this, understanding policies that were currently in place or being debated and realizing that that opportunity to vote, that accessibility to vote, puts me in a very privileged position. And I had never even really considered that. And when it comes down to it, I think you can see, it's almost like the moment you lift the curtain or you know you look behind a rock, you can see so many different ways in which voter suppression and voter, I guess, almost like attack on voting rights has just been present throughout our entire history. The founding of this country, there was an extreme amount of voter suppression already happening right out of the gate. And it has been a fight ever since to increase access to vote to more and more demographics, individuals, and groups of people. So whether that means it was only 100 years ago that women were actually able to also participate and earned the right to vote. We talk about a country where we, the people, did not extend to women until 100 years ago. And I think that is a key example of how voter suppression has just been kind of woven into the fabric of a lot of our governance and is why we have to continue to fight to expand voting access. I think this year in particular, when it came to the increase in need for there to be alternative ways to vote outside of standing outside of a polling center because of the need for social distancing for self quarantining for protection of your own physical and mental health that's where a lot of the infrastructure around having mail sorting machines in our post offices and having and granting our postal workers who are essential workers and the work that they're doing this year especially under these circumstances is extremely heroic to make sure that when they have overtime they are being paid for that overtime and those that access to being able to support themselves isn't being taken away as well. And so a lot of pieces of infrastructure, I think, were at risk and were taken away through changes of funding or leadership at the United States Postal Service. And the work that Butfor did was actually helped to put a stop to that, again, hand in hand with a lot of different organizations, but essentially said, enough is enough. We can't dismantle our postal services at this critical point in our country and pretty much fought to make sure that ballots that were in post offices after election day were swept, gathered, and counted so that every vote was actually counted.
1: And it almost seems like there's somewhat of a silver lining around COVID-19 in terms of the election and that it forced us to increase access for voting to specific groups because of the pandemic, because of what you said, social distancing. How do you think that might change voting going forward? It almost seems like democracy itself is kind of like an onion that's still being peeled to reach the inside. But it's like, it's still not, obviously, we want to see even more voter engagement. So we want to see 75%, 80% voter engagement. So how do you think that might evolve? And what does the future look like for you specifically?
0: I mean, I think one of the reasons why it is it is an achievement that from 2016, 55% of the potential voting population actually casting their vote increasing that in 2020 to 66%. That is a heroic effort, but it's also not nearly where we should be. There are other countries, other democracies around the world reaching 70, 77, 80, 89, 90% of potential voters casting their ballot in every election. And until we reach those types of voter participation levels, our work isn't done. And As we continue to do this work, increasing voter turnout, making it more accessible and almost socializing the fact, changing the narrative in this country that voting, as much as we talk about it being a civic duty, it still continues to be a duty that many, many, many millions of us continue to take for granted. Our work isn't done and will never be done. And I think that there's so many different aspects to how you can make voter participation more accessible and more socialized to become the norm. And One way is definitely writing letters and making sure that those who can vote do exercise that right. But as I continue to kind of think about the broader question, and again, you asked, you know, where do I see myself? I have started thinking about what does that implicate just in terms of policy? I am not the first one to think about this. And there are so many others who are fighting this battle as well. But there are many countries where the moment you turn 18, the moment you you earn that right to vote, It is something that you are opted into instead of something that you have to go out of your way to opt into and register yourself. There are ways that it's an opt out system instead of an opt in system. There are just so many ways to think about voting outside of our current norm that I'm continuing to think about. And I think when it comes to thinking about the future and trying to answer those questions is where I see myself. It's almost like chasing those questions, those solutions and seeing, are there other like minded people who are challenging those questions and those norms? And how can I? position myself and put myself to help with those
1: solutions. And that includes not only government bodies, but also companies as well that you guys are forming partnerships with. Can you talk a little bit about your philosophy behind that and this idea of sort of a corporate responsibility to increase adherence to to voting?
0: One thing I hadn't touched on before, but you alluded to, is Vote Forward actually was able to, as a part of our nonpartisan nonprofit work, partner with a lot of incredible organizations across the country. Some of them smaller startups, some of them more creative agencies, but some of them also wide-reaching multinational organizations and really engaging in a conversation with their teams about what does it mean for companies, for corporations to not just do the bare minimum. There is the need for companies and corporations to allow employees to, to have their employees Actually, go and vote on the Tuesday of a general election. But there's also the need to think more broadly and to think more critically about when it comes to the civic duty around voting and when it comes to access to vote, education to vote, there's a lot that corporations can do and should be doing to own that. And so there has been a longstanding conversation around corporate social responsibility. What Vote Forward and other organizations this year were pushing was how do you take corporate social responsibility? And introduce the conversation of corporate political responsibility. Uh, What is the responsibility of corporations to not just give the required two hours of pay time off for employees to go to a polling center, but what does it mean to actively push forward voter education information for their employees to give them access and resources to register to vote in the first place? What does it mean for them to give their employees opportunities to volunteer and encourage and support their families, their friends, and other communities to participate in our voting process. And so how do you think beyond just the bare minimum? And so Vote Forward, I think, really started to help challenge that question of what does it mean to be a citizen <laughs> beyond just voting? How how do you participate not just as a voter, but as a volunteer to help others vote as well? I think it's just pushing the envelope and thinking about who has a responsibility in our democracy. It's not just every individual who makes up this democracy, but it's all those who benefit and all those who can contribute, which includes organizations, corporations, groups, communities.
1: It's really expanding who's responsible for evolving the future of democracy. It brings it back to what you were saying at the beginning about this bottom line focus in the tech industry, but widening the umbrella of corporate social responsibility to not just include emissions or sustainable material use or labor force, basically regulations, but broadening it out to encompass this idea of democracy and increasing the ability for democracy to function, which all of these different companies are a part of. So who are some of the companies you guys have worked with and how has that partnership looked?
0: One of the first companies that we worked with very closely was actually Patagonia. And I think a part of this is they have taken corporate social responsibility to heart and have made that a core part of every decision that they make. And so translating that into corporate political responsibility was a conversation that they were already starting to have internally, and they were looking for partners and opportunities for where they could direct a lot of their employees and their work towards. And so that's kind of a very natural partnership. Other organizations that joined in partnership with us over time included PayPal, Indiegogo, Betterment, a lot of different creative agencies and a lot of different entertainment talent agencies as well. So it's a pretty wide-reaching, I think, sweep of different industries. I think we also worked closely with some more local breweries. And so a lot of just different corporations and companies and groups and teams started reaching out to us and asking what more they could do to participate and how can they take their responsibility as a citizen more seriously and help impact this election. Hearing that, a lot of the outreach that we got was actually a lot of inbound people hearing about what we're doing and saying, hey, how can we contribute more to this? How can my entire team, how can my entire company get involved in the work that is being done here to increase voter turnout? How can we use our platform to amplify that work as well? It was almost like a very real deja vu moment of the reason why I joined Vote for in the first place. a moment of what more can I do? How can I use what I have in front of me in a way that can positively benefit something that I care about, which is just increasing accessibility and the the voice of those around us
1: so taking it back to your story, where do you see yourself kind of in five years from now in terms of this Policy journey, the desire to make an impact in politics and then just democracy overall. Like, do you think you'll stay in this field? Do you think that you'll stay at Vote Forward or might you, you know, work at one of these partner organizations kind of advocating something like this internally?
0: One of the things that I mentioned previously around realizing that, not necessarily realizing, but as you continue to work within the space of voter protection, voter education, voter accessibility. Larger and larger questions come up around how do you proactively think about this problem? What are reactive measures? All of these different things. And like you mentioned, a lot of this does come down to policy. And so I think when you say, Where do I see myself in five years? There is a lot of I'm continuing to explore what are some of the answers to some of these problems. There is no one right answer. It is likely many, many different inputs to help even move the needle a little bit. But where is there an alignment of my existing skill set and where I think I can contribute to help even move or nudge the needle a little bit? And so it's a little bit of where's there an opportunity and where do the answers to these questions lead me? So whether that's at Vote Forward, at you know the larger organization that is Swing Left, or one of our partner organizations, I think it's unknown, but we'll continue to kind of strive for where can I be best positioned to help help others figure out the solution to this problem.
1: Yeah, and we'll have to have you back on the show to talk about that as you evolve in your career. What's a message that you might have for someone young and interested in politics or maybe, you know, even someone older who's who may not have voted? You know, what is a message that you would share with them to inspire them?
0: One thing I would say is don't not talk about politics. We very often, whether it's a cultural norm traditional norm, whether it's based off of your ethnicity, your demographic, your family tradition, whatever it may be, don't shy away from talking about politics, especially when you know that those in the conversation don't necessarily agree with some of the political opinions that you have. I think the greatest disservice that we do, whether you are young, whether you are old, whether you're extremely engaged in politics or not at all engaged in politics, is making the decision to not talk about it. There is this I think, societal norm to shy away from politics because of how sometimes explosive that conversation can be and how divisive it can be. But without those conversations, we can't learn from each other. We can't develop empathy for each other. And we no longer start seeing each other as human beings. But instead, we start seeing each other as conflicting opinions. And I think that's the one thing I would say (laughs) is really just lean into those conversations with the intent to listen and understand.
1: It really echoes your experience at the Iowa caucus, where you were talking with those other individuals in person. And also, I guess, the nonpartisan approach of Vote Forward, where really it's about starting the conversation. Well, thank you very much for joining us here on Imagined Human. Where can people find you and learn more about you?
0: Reach out directly, actually. If you have any questions, would like to discuss any further, you can reach out to me directly at melissa at That's M-E-L-I-S-S-A at V-O-T-E F-W-D dot org. And I think that's the best way to engage with me is just reach out directly. Would love to have any conversations, answer any questions, or just engage in conversation. Again, my door is always open. I love engaging in conversations regardless of whether it is about politics or not. And so my inbox is open.
1: Great. Thank you very much, Melissa.
0: Thank you so much, Morgan.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Imagine Human. Our goal is to inspire you to think differently about how technology can improve well being for everyone. If you are interested in learning more about Vote Forward, donating to their cause, or participating in one of their upcoming campaigns, please visit votefwd.org. If you like this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. We encourage you to check out our previous episodes on ImagineHuman.com, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Also, did you know that you can now listen to our podcast on Alexa? Just say, hey Alexa, play Imagine Human. Until next time, have a great day.